0: Welcome to Real Time with WLP. My name is Danielle Foucault, Podcast Channel Manager at Women Leaders in Pharma, and your host for this episode of our podcast. For this episode, we're going to explore the art of negotiation and collaboration in the workplace. And is it different for women? I invite you to stick around for this very powerful conversation. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Bettini Iconomopoulos. Nicknamed the negotiator as a child, Fatini has been honing her skills her entire life. For the last decade, she's been empowering Fortune 500 executives and their teams to achieve their objectives through her expertise in negotiation, communication, and persuasion. She guides companies through high stakes scenarios and creates tailored intensive negotiation workshops for clients across the globe in all industries who want to develop their teams. Now, when she's not strategizing with clients, Fatini is a frequent guest on CBC and CTV television and an instructor of MBA negotiations at the Schulich School of Business. She also offers her expertise to nonprofit initiatives, including an empowerment program for young girls, an attempt to close the gender gap before it starts. Wow. Welcome, Fatini, to Real Time with WLP. Now, I recently read, albeit through audiobook, your newly published book, Say Less, Get More. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the learnings, personal and professional anecdotes, as well as the practical applications that you eloquently shared. Now, without revealing really too much about what you covered in the novel, can you tell us about yourself and how you got involved in a career negotiations and what was the catalyst?
1: So I'm I'm so glad you read it and you enjoyed it. <laughs> it makes me it makes me really happy to hear that it was practical. <laughs> Something that's so important to me. Um in, in terms of how I got here, it was kind of Accidental, in a way. I, you know, it. I, I, in my bio, people ask me all the time, "Is that true about the negotiator nickname?" And I'm like, "That is indeed it. I've been doing it since <laughs> I was a kid." If you've ever seen the movie "My Big Fat Greek Wedding," that was my life. Um, so when you have a big fat Greek dad, you have to negotiate just to get your uh, yourself out of the house. And from there, I, I spent some time in family business as well, running a business with my my parents and then escaping to do um, an MBA in organization behavior. And then from there, I was recruited into L'Oreal where I was negotiating with Walmart on a regular basis. It was part of just my my job kind of trajectory. And then I was poached by another company to do the same thing. So I just became this kind of Walmart negotiation specialist. And then at some point very soon after, a training company who had been brought in to train us to be better negotiators, hmm. um, was said, you really should be doing what we do. And I was like, yeah, sure. Someday when I've got more experience, <laughs> still in my 20s. And they said, no, seriously, you you're good at this. Um and so they poached me and I ended up crisscrossing the globe and training everybody from the junior account managers to the C-suite executives in the organization. I loved every minute of it. Um, while I was doing that, of course, I was studying the subject a lot more. I was getting tapped by these same clients who went, it's great that you trained our team, but we have hundred million on the line, or we have a billion dollars on the line. What do we do? Like, how do we go about this? And so I started doing the kind of the consulting piece of the whole thing where I would hold their hands through these high stakes negotiations and that was kind of a new chapter Um, and it was soon after that that I decided to leave the company and and I thought I was going to try something different but then it was clients who tapped me on the shoulder again and went so when are you going to come back and work with us and I said I didn't work for this I don't work for the company anymore (laughs) we didn't do the company we hired Fotini and so that just kind of opened up a whole bunch of new doors including one where my alma mater called me up and said, Hey, are you interested in teaching here? Um, so I've had the privilege of teaching MBA students at the Schulich School of Business um, off and on over the last few years as well. Um, That's so amazing it, it kind of evolved because it was something that I enjoyed and it was something that I was applying myself uh, at doing all of the time. And then I just kept saying yes to all of these opportunities that kept coming up. How did you like, how did you manage
0: the, the pressure? Because obviously it sounds like you were getting increasingly more and more responsibility as you were proving yourself.
1: Um, you know, the, the big answer to that is I don't know, but when I think back on my university days, I would pull all nighters all the time and people were like, Oh wow, how much coffee did you drink? And I was like, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't drink coffee. I get by on sheer will and anxiety. So right. <laughs> there's, there's something I think probably wrong with my body and that I thrive on that kind of adrenaline. And it, it is a little bit easier. The pressures in a way, the pressure is a little bit off because it's not because I'm a bit more detached versus those who are involved in the negotiation itself. I can be that objective one that can come in and look at things. It's almost right. like those people who tell you how to parent their kids when they're not the actual parent, Right, the backseat driver. <laughs> yeah. It's it's easier on the outside looking in, Right, uh, but it's always something that I enjoyed. I, I love doing the consulting work because I, I get to stay on the pulse of what's working and what's not. And I love the thrill of it. I just don't, over the thrill of it to have to be doing it every single day. Um, right. So yeah, oh, I just think for me it's 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 something that I it's like a puzzle in my brain. You know, some people love puzzles and some people hate them. But for me it's like fitting everything together and it just gives me such joy. Yeah, for
0: sure. And what what do you do outside of outside of work? Like what are some of your, I guess your personal hobbies, if you will?
1: Um I would say pre-pandemic I spent a yeah. lot of time in Pilates Studio and then that Sort of didn't become available to me but i when i enjoy something i kind of throw myself into it so a few years ago i even did pilates teacher training just because i oh, i found okay. that it was, it was the one time when i wasn't at work where i would take time to breathe and so it was so good for my body as well as my mental health mm-hmm. um, so I kind of threw myself into that, and beyond that, travel was my big hobby, so a lot of my hobbies have kind of been stripped away. (laughs) I definitely
0: emphasize that, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I definitely was a gym junkie, but now I I seem to be a roadrunner, so (laughs) uh, I completely appreciate where you're coming from. Now, you know, I, again, I really enjoyed the reading your novel, and I'm really impressed with, you know, what you have included in it, and just your, you know, the description of you know, where, where I guess where you started really um, in terms of, you know, some of the professionals that you worked with and, and some of the obstacles that you had to overcome. Now, you mentioned through some of your personal accounts that sometimes biases may influence the way people perceive others yeah. and that biases actually can impact how an individual may enter and handle a negotiation. And so I'm curious, what are some considerations that women should be aware of? And how can we optimally prepare ourselves for those negotiations, whether it be in the job or even getting into a job?
1: Yeah, when it comes to biases, I mean, I I don't think it's a secret now. We've seen so much research come out about women in the workforce and women are indeed treated differently. That is why the, the gender pay gap exists. And so I know from personal experience, as well as from lots of research on the subject, that when women or less dominant groups of all kinds go into a negotiation, they're often treated with condescension and sometimes even aggression. But knowing that you can now do one of two things with it, you can become a victim of it, or you can go knowledge is power. And I'm going to use that to my advantage. And I I've always put myself in the latter group. So I could anticipate some of the issues that would come up. So in the book, I mentioned some very colorful stories about things Mm -hmm. that I Happened to me on the road, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, being called certain names and an- anticipating that right. people were going to treat me poorly. Mm-hmm. And because I could anticipate that, yep. I used it almost as a stepping stone to overcome it, and in fact, to even be better. Um, so I don't, I don't regret some of the obstacles that have come my way in terms of that mm-hmm. adversity because I think it just made me so much better at what I do and better Learning. at. But it, right. it really is going okay. I know this person may treat me poorly. I may, I may know that they're going to call me a little girl or whatever that moment is going to look like. How do I prevent it is now I can come up with that strategy in advance. What Mm -hmm. are the things that I can do? Can I get somebody to sing my praises beforehand? Those are some of the strategies that I use in the consulting world. And then if it still happens, what am I going to do in the moment? How do I use Mm -hmm. that moment as power instead of freaking out and going, oh God, what do I do now? So when you can anticipate it, you can almost use that energy as a force to help you build some momentum and, and get over it. I think that's the really important thing for women to remember, especially is that you're not alone. It's not you, it's them. But right. how do you use that energy that they're throwing your way and going, I yeah. can, can handle this. I can overcome this. I have a question ready that is going to you know, change the situation. I'm going to change my posture. I'm going to prevent this from happening. So there, there are ways to mitigate the risk of some of those things happening
0: that's really that's really insightful. And you mentioned, I think in your novel about you know, uh, I guess it's charging your battery. And <laughs> I guess that would be a really good example of charging your battery and just you know you know doing I guess also doing your homework, and knowing to your point like who your audience is, um, anticipating what some of those biases are and um, and and managing them. So um, that's that's really great to hear that. Um, I guess those are some of the ways that you would um, encourage others to do that too. Now I really like the emphasis you placed on the concept of the mental pause button as well, like particularly when it comes to negotiations. but I, of course, it doesn't it's not I guess exclusive to negotiations. I mean, and negotiations is such a, a broad term for so many different situations. Um, but you also mentioned this idea of controlling the elephant, elephant, sorry. I'd be interested to know more about what 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 is that and how can this pause be leveraged to change the
1: trajectory of a conversation? So, I mean, the elephant and the rider scenario comes from a book I read. I want to say it was... I'm going to forget this. I think it was the happiness hypothesis I cited in the book specifically, but Mm it was a, it was an analogy that that made so much sense to me because your rational brain is the rider. It's this tiny person sitting on this, you know, X number of tons elephant and the Mm -hmm. elephant is your emotions. And so who's going to be in charge? Is it truly the rider or is it the elephant? If you know how to guide the elephant appropriately, then you can use that rational brain to get to where you want to go. But if you Mm -hmm. lose control, then it's those emotions that are going to take over. And, right. you know, we know so much more now about behavioral science and and what that pausing means. We know, for example, that, you know, I mentioned Pilates earlier. I know that taking a one-hour Pilates class or a yoga class and doing that breathing is not only going to help me in that one hour, but it's going to have a halo effect for hours to come. So, the pause can certainly help you in the moment when you're facing this stressor of some kind. I mean, negotiation is, is, as you said, it's a very broad term. So it mm-hmm. really is any type of interaction you're going to have with someone where you need to reach agreements, not just about cash stuff. So if there's going to be a conflict of some kind, that is an effect of negotiation. Mm-hmm. So when you're facing that stressor, it's about finding that moment of, okay, what can I do to calm my brain right down right now? What can I do to channel that energy into something else before I react I'm going to take a calming breath, or I'm going to think about my positive mantra, or I'm going to picture myself on a beach in Mexico with a margarita, or I'm going to, you know, reframing techniques like telling myself that I'm excited about this. And each and every one of those coping mechanisms is a mental pause button that helps you actually change your cognitive abilities. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many fascinating studies, a few of which I drop in the book as well, that show us how. A power pose or a positive mantra have actually resulted mm-hmm. in better outcomes, better outcomes in negotiations, better outcomes on math tests and speech tests and and singing tests and all sorts of stuff. Just mm-hmm. by taking a pause moment to go, I'm not scared. I'm excited about this, or I'm just yep. gonna breathe before I speak. And in negotiation, mm-hmm. I find when people are facing those moments of quiet, when they're facing those moments of I don't know what to say, they feel like they have to fill the void, and that's when we do that very dangerous thinking and talking at the same time. And so mm. I encourage my audiences to just pause instead right. of thinking, and talking, do the thinking first, but take right. that meditative moment to allow the rational thought to come back in before you talk yourself out of a deal or you, before you start rambling and justifying your way or getting defensive, instead of being reactive, we want to be proactive, but it's going to take mm. knowing how to channel that mental pause button in order to do so that's really interesting and
0: somewhat related but i remember in your in your book you were you're talking about i think you were making a deal with a um a, a snowplow company yeah. and and i think I, I think they had made an offer and you i guess had some work to do that day and you inadvertently didn't respond because you were busy doing your job and and before before you knew it when you went back to your phone this person already you know talked themselves out of a deal like I, it sounds like you've got yeah. a better deal
1: without even speaking so <laughs> yeah. i mean people will negotiate against themselves if you let them but you need to yeah. give them air time to be able to do it well <laughs> no, that's really interesting and I guess
0: I'm curious, too, there are so many elements to this. And I find it fascinating. Um, you know, when you go into this, you know, to your point, uh, a conflict, if you will, which, you know, has a negative connotation, but actually really is just, you know, an opportunity really to come to an agreement on some on something. Um, I just I guess I'm curious, what are some of the elements that... Uh, would influence. Uh, how do I say this? You know, we you, you mentioned the idea of power, and there's two types. There's the real, like real power, and then there's their perception of power. How can people, and and women specifically, how can we leverage that to work to our advantage? So let's just say we we know deep down in our in our core we don't have much power in this any particular situation. How can we present ourselves so that um, you know? we're coming across a little bit differently um, and that we give ourselves that that chance to be able to really
1: advocate for what we want. So I, I'm going to tell you kind of an off-topic story, which I think makes the point. So when I um, when I was hired by this consulting firm, uh, a couple of years later, my manager said to me, he said, you know, I knew I wanted to hire you the second you walked in the room. And I was like, well, this could get really awkward, but tell me more. <laughs> um, and he said, I walked into this negotiation training. He said, you were wearing this red dress and you stood out in a sea of guys in black polo shirts. And he said, that's somebody I need to know. And so as a result of me kind of, oh, he's he walked in just like you owned the room and that in itself can speak volumes. That is the perception of power. I might've been scared out of my mind. I might've been going, do I belong here with all of these other guys? I actually don't remember, but I'm sure I was nervous to a degree, but I didn't look that way. Cause I, I, I'm not much of a wallflower in general. Um <laughs> It's how you present yourself that changes other people's perceptions. Mm. And I know from negotiation research that having looking, feeling, or even just looking anxious results Mm. in suboptimal negotiation outcomes. One study even showed that people got results that were 12% less financially attractive just because they were looking or feeling anxious. What happens is when they sense that fear or they sense that anxiety, they go, ooh, there's somebody who looks scary, uh, scared, I'm going to get even more aggressive, right? And leverage that vulnerability, right? The perception that you can create will affect how much power they think they have. Mm. If you walk in there super nervous, or, you know, biting your nails or twiddling your thumbs or clicking a pen or whatever it's going to be. And these are trivial examples, but there's definitely lots of messages that you're sending out there. When they pick up on that, they might have thought originally that they didn't have all that much power, but when they see you, they might go, oh, I guess I'm in a stronger position than I thought since this person seems quite weak to me.
0: doesn't matter what
1: the actual power is, that perceived power can dominate in that moment. So as a woman, it's really important that, we show up with our whole selves. We own our presence in that room. I even talk, I even have to mention to women's groups where to physically sit in the room, which sounds so trivial and ridiculous. But if you have, for example, if you see a boardroom with chairs all the way around, and then you see another row of chairs lining the walls or across the back of the room, I want you to think about instinctively, where do you go to sit? Because So many of the women I meet go, well, I'm going to leave the chairs here at the table for the more important people. I'm just going to take one of the seats at the back. I was never a person. I always sat at the table. I literally sat at the table, not just figuratively. And I can't tell you how many female CEOs have given others that exact same advice. Own Mm -hmm. your seat at the table. You showed up you earned it to be there may, there may be more senior people there that's fine but they chose you they invited you to that invitation list so own your place in that room and i think that's going to be really important no matter what the situation you face no
0: that's really good advice and yeah i i i i personally appreciate you sharing that and i'm sure the listeners as well are going to appreciate that too and I, and i guess also that to me it resonates um you know when you think about i guess also Negotiating, for example, a contract when you're starting a new position um, or starting at a new a new company. Um, I think in your novel, and I, I think I, I think I may have quoted this before, but was it? Did you say seven percent? Was it in 2014? I think seven percent of women didn't or did not negotiate their salary. Is that so, it right? a
1: study, yeah, it was a study done. I want to say back in 2003. Again, the details are in the book. Okay. And what they found was, coming out of school, only seven percent of women negotiated their first salary, whereas fifty-seven percent of men did. So that's a pretty drastic mm-hmm. um, contrast between the two. Of those who did negotiate their first salary. Seven point, they managed to increase their offers by an average of 7.4%, which is significant when you think about when you're that young. I mean, it could be a few hundred dollars a month and that could be a vacation, a month's rent or, you know, your grocery bills or whatever that might look like. Another study took that exact same figure a step further and they compared the person who did negotiate and the person who didn't. Just that one first, first job at a school negotiation. And I said, let's give them the same salary and promotions and the same increases for the next 35 years. The only difference is that 7.4% head start. And they found that as a result, the person who did negotiate gets to retire eight years Earlier. That's so significant. (laughs) That's one negotiation. I look at my life and I was like every single from the time I was 12 when I started working, I was negotiating my first (laughs) and every promotion and every raise and every increase. So Mm -hmm. I tally that up and i have saved, and I've gained 20 years at least of of early retirement. So it, it can make a world of difference. We're at a crossroads right now where women can be helping themselves or they can be holding themselves back. That's not to say it's easy and it's not to say it's mm-hmm. risk-free, but as I've outlined in the book, there are ways to mitigate the risks. Yeah. I know right. the reason women hold back is because they're going, I'm worried that they're going to rescind the offer. I'm worried mm-hmm. that they're going to think I'm greedy. They have all this fear. And so mm-hmm. there are ways in the way that which you communicate, the words that you choose, the demeanor that you bring to the table, where you can mitigate those risks and actually yeah. come out way further ahead.
0: And I also like, that's really, yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I also sometimes, I mean, myself, I think, you know, there's a reason why we're having this conversation in the first place, right? Like not only do, you know, do I want to be there, but they, they, they're obviously, you know, offering an offer to you because they want, they want you to be at the table as well. So, you know, knowing that there's something knowing that both parties want to make it work. I think, you know, if you take that, like to your point, like that approach in mind and, and that collaborative spirit, Um, you know, I think that there is an opportunity to to be able to negotiate um, the right mindset. So just kind of bringing it back to like the pharmaceutical industry, I guess, in particular. And and when we think of negotiations, like, you know, we often think of these like one and done deals. um, But within the industry, cross-functional collaboration and negotiation is integral to the success of the business. And strong and long-lasting interpersonal relationships are so important to help keep that dialogue open. What are some key elements that you would recommend for all negotiators and collaborators to consider in these types of situations? Are there any elements that you think maybe women excel at or any areas where you think we should perhaps pay particular attention?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about collaboration, I remember some of my toughest negotiations back when I was working for a company weren't with Walmart. They were with my (laughs) marketing department or my colleagues in another area. It was the internal stuff. That was much harder than the external stuff. And the way that that can help you do that, especially for women, is to think about this factor of likability. So I often tell people that people try to buy their likability. They go, I'm just going to do this thing for them because I want them to like me. I don't want them to hate me. But the Mm. truth of the matter is likability doesn't come from giving people everything that they want. That's how you end Mm -hmm. up with spoiled children, but it's not how you end up with well-behaved children. Right. So that likability factor actually comes from different things. And women can really prosper here because first of all, it comes from um, having something in common. It could be something quite simple. It could be, oh, you did your, your education there. I did my education there. You grew up in that neighborhood. I grew up in that neighborhood. And that is now a bond of familiarity that it's making mm-hmm. them want to feel common more interest. Good. Yeah. Working yeah, with me. It also comes from paying genuine compliments. So you can say, you know, I love your glasses, Um, and that can be a really nice icebreaker at making them want to deal with you. But most importantly, it comes from cooperative behavior. So Mm -hmm. if you are thinking about this curiosity mindset of what would be valuable to this person, or what can I learn about this person right now, I feel like that's where women really shine. And so we don't have to overcompensate by giving away value. And hurting ourselves in the process. It's yeah. thinking about how can I demonstrate to this person that I, have, that I am cooperative and that's gonna make them want to deal with me? My yeah. entire business exists today, not because I was giving people crazy discounts or boasting. <laughs> of them my, you know, accomplishments. It came because someone called me up and said, Fotini, when are you going to come work with us again? I like working with you. I want mm-hmm. to find ways to work with you. And they liked me because I listened, because mm-hmm. I understood the challenges that they were facing, because I found that something in common with them, we had some kind of common denominator between us. And that made us want to actually do work together. So they were looking for ways to want to work with me instead of trying to leave and work against me.
0: Yeah, no, that's again really helpful advice. So I'm yeah, thank you for sharing that. So and I guess my my final question would be for someone who's not an expect an expert in negotiation, such as yourself, what is one thing that you would recommend that they could take away today, do today, that would make them a better negotiator? Shut
1: up. (laughs) whether it's you know shutting up so you can channel your calm your mind for a second or shut up to give them the space to do some talking it Mm -hmm. is Really uncomfortable to sit in silence, but the more comfortable you get with it, the more valuable it will be to you. And they're going to perceive it quite differently on the other side, too. So you might be a a ball of nerves, but they're going to go, Oh, this person's being quiet so that I can have some space to talk. They're listening to me and they're acknowledging me. It can be perceived in such a positive light, but you've got to use the practice of, you know, use your ears and your mouth proportionately. (laughs) We have (laughs) two ears and one mouth for a reason. And before you (laughs) talk yourself out of a deal, stop and think about what you want to say next and what they're sharing with you.
0: That's great. And I'm, I'm sure our listeners will be, you know, very intrigued to, to apply that and see, and see the, um, the definitely the the downstream um, benefits from that. So Fatini, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of real time with WLP. Um, For our listeners, Fatini shares loads of tips on her social media accounts and even takes audience questions on Instagram You can find her at Fatini Icon, spelled at F-O-T-I-N-I-I-C-O-N, on all of the socials, as well as on LinkedIn. Also, remember to subscribe now to WLPs so that you don't miss an episode and can share this episode with someone in your network. Please follow us on LinkedIn. Visit our website at www.womenleadersandpharma.com. Also, if you're interested in hearing more about a specific topic or from a specific speaker, you can always email us at info at womenleadersinpharma.com. Thanks so much for listening. This is Danielle signing out.